Hello and welcome to the Juan Juan podcast. If you're enjoying the show, consider signing up for the Patreon. There you get ad-free content, early access, exclusive episodes, and monthly supporter hangouts. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. If you don't like the subscription-based models, there are other ways of supporting the show that are linked in the description. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart? Available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Welcome to the One on One podcast with your host. Juan Ayala. Um, there's this big private school at the top of the hill called Charterhouse School um, and they had this massive woodland that kind of flowed down the hill and then we were on the road below that and just, as a kid I'd play you can go into the bottom of the woods and there'd be like weird stuff there you could just lurk around in the woods and play with kids I remember I went there on my own one time because <laughs> um, no one else was around um, and I went into the woods looked up and I saw a figure standing in the woods that had this like skull head it's the only thing way I can explain it it was like a almost like a deer skull but big you know obviously it's too big for a deer kind of thing so it could have just been someone with a mask on so that was you know that but it freaked me out as a kid and, I was like, and, then, and then a few weeks later I went back and I discovered this like little hunter's hut and it was full of tiny skulls like like deer skulls and like fox skulls and things like that it's obviously like a a guy that takes care of the grounds that was you know dealing with unwanted animals or whatever it freaked me out and I remember you know weakling or whatever ran off from this this hunter's hut tripped over and smashed my head against the side of like a big rock on the ground which knocked me out and when I woke up I turned around and there was an enormous peacock angel above me <laughs> this giant peacock I, I see it as a peacock angel now because I've been reading a lot about the Yazidi but it was this enormous glowing peacock and it, it just had this like insane effect I, I remember this my head was I don't know it's hard to explain it was like this ecstatic feeling it was bizarre and it sort of psychically spoke to me it sounds this sounds crazy when you say it back but it was this really intense experience
Welcome back to another episode of the One One Podcast. Your host, as always, make sure to follow the show at the One One Podcast on most social media platforms. TJOJP.com is the website. Patreon.com slash the One One Podcast. Make sure to get your homunculus owner's manual, your copy, TJOJP.com. Got the comic book, Occultus Mundi, all that good stuff. Links are down in the description. And today joining me is Ken Eakins. And I was, I was, re- I said it right, right? I didn't fuck it yep, up. Yep. All right. Uh, <laughs> I was recently on his podcast and uh, we had a pretty good chat. So make sure to check that out. I'll link it down in the description as well. And I usually don't click with people and he seems like a really nice guy. I enjoyed our conversation. So I said, hey, I know you've probably summoned some demons, so why don't you jump on my podcast and let's talk about it. What's up, dude? Yeah, I'm all good, man. I'm, I'm the dirty occultist that you guys talk about all the time. <laughs> a Crowley lover here, Ken is, right? Ken, you love Crowley? I don't love Crowley, but I've worked with his systems before, and I think he's misunderstood a lot, especially within you know the occult communities, mm-hmm. which is something we spoke about a little bit, but we can talk about today if you want, but um yeah, yeah, definitely. Can you tell people where they can find you, Ken? And yeah, your podcast, your website, and all that good stuff. You got some great guests. Yeah, so it's, um, right where you're sitting now is the name of the show. It's based on a Robert Anton Wilson book. and uh, But you can find us everywhere pretty much online at Sitting Now. So sittingnow.co.uk, Sitting Now on Twitter, Instagram, all that sort of stuff. So just look for Sitting Now, one word, and you'll, you'll find us. Awesome. We've been going for a long time, man. We've been going since like yeah. 2000. I'm just really lazy. So we... we um, <laughs> back in the day like podcasts you didn't actually have to do them weekly <laughs> or at least that's what i told myself really? uh, for you know we're, we're just hitting like episode 93 now oh, there you go um, yeah, there you go like this, this week and um, i gotta hit the button because illuminati confirmed there you go episode you go. 93 yeah. <laughs> just i just uh revealed myself accent there but yeah no so yeah episode 93 um but you know we sort of we're doing it regularly now basically we mm. used to do it sporadically and we used to do other shows as well and but yeah so it's weekly again now which is good. And Ken, I know you said that you're, are you an ex occultist? Are you still in what's going on? Can you tell us a little bit about what made you take the jump to actually join one of these organizations? If you are or not still part of it, because this is a question I get a lot, like reading all these texts, learning about the occult, learning about magic. Is it not tempting to make you want to join and make you want to actually do and participate in these ceremonies rituals whatever you want to call it what made you go like i want to do this i want to take the dive <laughs> i think it's just is you sort of um yeah i was a member of um something called the oto which was um a group that crowley took over it wasn't he didn't start the oto he took it over um uh, and then sort of you know infused it with his kind of his philosophy i suppose you could say but um yeah the reason i joined was because you know you spend as you know, <laughs> you get, you can get pretty lonely just reading these weird old texts and um, it kind of makes you feel a bit like an outsider, I suppose, all the time. So it's quite nice to have a, you know, a social group of people that you can, um, you know, uh, just largely, I mean, the ATO is largely, you know, a social group rather than, um, you know, a working group. It does do magical workings, but generally it's like a, dis- you know, a discussion group with initiations and then like a, they do a ritual to Gnostic mass whenever they can because <laughs> um, they're quite hard to do. But uh, yeah, so it, it's 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 not like a sort of hardcore, you know, every time you meet up, it, you know, it's not like you see in the movies. It's um, largely a social group. 
And it's funny because they say that too about Freemasonry and yeah. how it's just it's just a what do they call it? like a like a frat group or a fraternity or whatever it's called where they just just a bunch of gay bros coming together to do gay stuff, right? I mean, that's because <laughs> yeah, I mean, Masons are a little bit different because they they sort of they're much more popular. So you mm-hmm. know they have and and they have many branches. So it's not you don't just join Masonry and do the main you can you can you do join masonry and you do the main sort of degrees but then i think you're expected to because i'm not a mason but I, I, from what i know you you're expected to then branch off and start your own like lodges or you know and they can be anything i mean they can be charity groups or i think there's actually quite a f- hardly any mystical groups in the in the masons from what i can tell there's like a few like a handful mm-hmm. in the world but i mean i you know <laughs> i could be wrong i'm not a mason so and it come it, it's kind of hard to think that right in the conspiracy realm the term illuminati is one with it's like a blanket term now the illuminati mm-hmm. isn't just one thing which it was a group back then there was one group but yeah. now it's they they clump everybody in there secret societies included freemasons i think are at the forefront of this i guess i don't know if you want to call it an attack but Whenever anyone's first getting into Freemason, uh, into Freemasonry, into the conspiracy realm, the first thing that they go for is, oh, the Freemasons are are behind it all. And the the way I look at it all, bro, it's like if these entities, I'm gonna call them entities, if they are lizard people or not, who knows? But if these entities or these groups are as smart as they claim to be, don't you think that maybe they'd be? more secretive or more secret and more elusive than everybody nowadays when something breaks out in the community they're an expert of whatever that thing that week was you know this week it's Mm -hmm. fires and directed energy (laughs) weapons (laughs) next week it's gonna be airplanes the next week after that it's gonna be wildfire who knows what it's gonna be but and and everyone just jumps on it like oh we figure it out like this is Mm -hmm. and i'm not one to talk because one of the things that I look at is symbolism and mm-hmm. uh, the way that it's used in media, the way it's used in cinema, the way it's used in all these different places. And to think that they're not using it to manipulate people's mind, because as you know, the subconscious is sort of a realm, right? Like I grew up, I know you're, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 29 and I grew up watching all these cartoon shows. Like for example, Yu-Gi-Oh and like Pokemon and all these different right growing up and turns out like in Yu-Gi-Oh it's about banishing people to the shadow realm and it's like well the shadow realm is actually a a real place (laughs) that you can actually visit and go there right once you start reading about these sort of things you know what I mean but again back to this whole idea of people decoding everything and knowing how everything I don't think so I think that there are there's obviously some bloodline attached to all this, right? I don't, I don't know if it's the Merovingians or whoever. I don't know, but it, I think that there is a lineage that goes all the way back. And I've been looking into my genealogy as of recently and my last name and the Ayala family. And it's like from some place in Spain that was born in Puerto Rico. And You're really the Rothschilds. <laughs> exactly. So, dude, the Ayala family is one of the most powerful families in the Philippines, Actually, and they have like this entire multi-billion dollar empire. So I'm like, hmm, how can I get in on that? Right? Like, how can I get in on one of these lizard kings and and benefit off of that? But it's just interesting to see, uh, you know, where people 
take these ideas and i don't know i know you want to like dip your toes into the conspiracy realm where do you stand as far as the occult and conspiracies do you think that they go hand in hand do you think it's all you know it's uh different sides of the same coin what are your thoughts on that i think the occult is a convenient boogeyman a lot of the time because it's secret secretive you know so there's nothing people hate more than people not telling them what they're up to in these dark rooms you know it's kind of I think that kind of immediately leans them. It's the same with the Masons, yeah? It's the same sort of thing. You know, so they're, they're these people that meet up in their strangely named lodges or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, they do ceremonies that seem to be mysterious. Or I think there's a lot of that going on when it comes to the occult with conspiracy. It's, it's an easy, easy target, you know? And the other thing is you're talking about, um, you know, I work in the media when i'm not doing sitting now um and i work in advertising illuminati confirmed yeah there you go <laughs> um but yeah and so yeah i completely agree with the manipulation of the subculture uh, subconscious rather especially through advertising i mean advertising is the worst the worst of the lot you know it's uh but yeah no i think it's kind of i think I think some of it's real. That's the thing. I think, like, with all conspiracy, I, was, I just interviewed Nicholas Shrek, and in that, I gave an example. I said, like, if you see all, like, conspiracy as, like, a pie, a certain slice of it, I think, is true. You know, and, I, you know, even Alex Jones is right every now and then, you know, um, and he, he comes up with some pretty crazy stuff. And, um, you know, even Ike's been right. David Ike, you know, Lizard Man's been right as well. So I think there is, there probably are some groups out there. In fact, I can, there are historically some groups out there that, are kind of malevolent occult figures that are you know put into positions of power that's that has happened but do i think it's generally happening no i i, I don't think like when i see um you know people posting about lady gaga at the emmys or whatever and she does that or something you just think well that's just the you know the occult has in, it has influenced art a lot over mm. the years you know so i think there's you know i just i just don't see it i don't see these like great elite groups signaling each other in front of everyone especially these days when we can all just really quickly jump on google and look up what these symbols mean it's it's it doesn't seem i don't know it, i don't believe there's signaling going on there i i think it's just the occult influence in art a lot of the time and i think that gets misinterpreted as like you know some global global plot or whatever <laughs> wasn't it curly that wrote about the revelational method or method of revelation is that is it and uh, magic and theory and practice was it where he wrote possibly or it's like right the world's a stage mm -hmm. william shakespeare shady character too we don't really know <laughs> if he was an actual real person if he was a group of people then you have all the occult influence in his plays right and then somebody who influenced the English language to such an extent, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're at the forefront of this. Then you have the connection with, with Francis Bacon, the King James version of the Bible, all these weird things, right? You, John Dee's bundled up in there too. So it's like, I, I agree with you. Not everything is a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Not everything is a cult. But that and that's also the problem with the conspiracy community that they want to find something occult or they want to find a conspiracy and everything like and I'll be honest sometimes because I'm, I'm a skeptic, bro. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a skeptic. I don't do I think aliens are real? Probably. But I'm not going to take right this dude in front of Congress or whatever his word for it. Like, I want to see pictures. Yeah. I want to see like a full on body of it i want to see something dude i don't want to i don't want to 
It's like you're saying when you get to the, you're reading all these books. I want to get to the real stuff. I want to actually like like a Parsons where he's launching rockets into outer space. He's like, yo, when I conjure something up, I want to see results, right? Because yeah. I'm I'm seeing the results of my alchemy. Essentially, is what rocketry is mixing all these chemicals together and launching something into space. If you want to believe in space, <laughs> you're watching this thing go up, right? You're watching it. So when I do something in my ceremonial setting. I want to kick it up and and actually have results of it. But yeah, I agree with you. And and the fact that sometimes when I'm looking at something, I'll be watching a movie or a show or whatever, and some things will tickle me. Like yeah, that seemed kind of a cold, but was it? Like I'll be watching like whatever, and and it's dude, it'll be the weirdest shows. I'll sit down and watch shows with my wife or something, and it'll be about blind dating. And it's weird the way they do it because, you know, sometimes you'll have the eye of Horus on one of their necklaces or something. And then one of the interesting ones that I saw recently and recently, I mean, probably like six, eight months ago, where there was a dude on there bragging about semen retention, bro. And how how he learned it in the East or whatever and how he could orgasm without actually ejaculating. I'm like, this is Netflix. And I like what a weird... Who says that to somebody when you first meet them? Like, if, if you were to, if you were able to do that, Ken, would you go to somebody and be like, yeah, dude, I can orgasm without Jack without without <laughs> jizzing, dude? Like, like, what? <laughs> it's weird, right? I mean, that, that that's odd. Yeah, yeah, that's a strange thing to say to someone. But the, yeah. the relation of of sex magic with the occult, right? I mean, you're talking about you know we're bringing up Crowley, Parsons, all these guys were heavily into this sex magic and then you have this guy which that's what they were trained to do to orgasm and use that energy to manipulate it to manifest things into well, reality. That's the same with Crowley. Crowley um, was in, I mean, the original version of the ATO prior to Crowley um, they sort of based the, the, most of their magical system around sex magic. It was like the key to the, to the entire order um, when, when you reach the higher degrees. And when Crowley was taught that, that, it kind of flipped his script a little bit. He was like, everything, you know, if you, you can sort of read between the lines, but you can see that he's just becomes obsessed with sex magic towards the end. It's it, he, he, Something happens, obviously, when you do it. And it's obviously, I think, I, my theory personally is that he found that that magic was the most powerful magic that you can do. Um, but again, sex magic is another thing that gets confused all the time with with conspiracy as well like i think we spoke about it on my show didn't we the um you know the oh, i can never remember the quote the killing of 150 kids or whatever it is that crody says oh the, yeah the the firstborn son is the most powerful sacrifice you can offer i think it was yeah and um but i mean what people forget is that when crody's writing that kind of stuff he would if he put if he'd put in plain english um, you know, masturbate or uh, um, you know, use menstrual blood, which is well. You're already saying doing. sacrifice your firstborn child. Why not just say pull? What what, what would the English say? Pull a uh, tug in the rope or something? What's what something? <laughs> Wanking off or something? Why not just say that? Because he would have been prosecuted. I mean, it's the uh, you know we we used to be the most uptight nation in the in, in the world at one point england and really? we had in, insane censorship rules if he I mean, that's the reason like we, we you spoke about white stains his book of poetry the reason he's he's not credited as the author of that because if he was he would have been arrested taken to court and probably put in prison you know it, it was that bad back then i think people forget that you know well, you so can crazy, say I, sacrifice your kids yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the irony isn't it but, uh, that's hilarious 
hilarious, bro. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, I don't know, I'm not completely, um, you know, because I've, I've got problems with Crowley as well. You know, the more I read, the more I think about him as a person, the less I like him, actually, if I'm honest. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but he did come up with some interesting, well, in fact, he revolutionized kind of Western esotericism, really. Yes. People don't, people don't like to, you know, give him that credit, but actually he did. You know, he synthesized all these systems together. He brought things like, um, you know, meditation and yoga and things like that to the, into popularity you know he's he's a kind of trans uh, transgressive figure which can annoy people but at the same time he's also you know he actually did the stuff he went out he went out into the world he you know traveled around he he met the people you know he and then brought it back with him and synthesized it into a magical system that's still very popular to this day so he obviously did something you know of, yeah. of note there. but i think the problem with him is he's the way he treated people was was horrible you know he he wives killing themselves you've got like uh yeah it's, it's really bad you know anyone that seemed to kind of get up towards his level it would be immediately dismissed you know it's the a man that's all about destroying his own ego seems to have a terrible ego when it comes to other people <laughs> uh kind of uh you know um you know getting anywhere close to him kind of thing it's it's a it's a that's where i lose my kind of respect for him i think mm. it's in, in the way he kind of conducted himself rather than his writings or his system I, you know but that's that's i guess that's a personal thing some people see you know there's a load of apologists out there i mean yeah. my co my co-host for example one of my co-hosts is a massive crowley apologist and i'm always telling him off for it but it's like <laughs> you know I'm, I'm a bit more of a realist you know if someone's a if someone's a, nick, a dickhead i'll call them a dickhead you know? yeah kind of, yeah no if, if you're a piece of shit you're a piece of shit it doesn't matter yeah, how yeah. how you put it and the the one that really gets my nipples in a bunch of snowdrops from a curate's garden. That one is, is super disgusting. And again, I forgot. I, I think I talked to you about it on your show where it's like, all right, let's say that this bizarre censoring that you can say certain things, but you can't say others, which I mean, you know about this. We all know about it in this community, especially when we're posting things on, on YouTube or, or social media, things do get censored. I mean, that, that is an actual thing. So that's why everyone should follow the RSS feed, right? If you're watching this on YouTube or wherever this is going to be, Rumble, Rockfin, follow the RSS feed because the RSS feed is never, you can get deplatformed, but the RSS feed is always there. So if you have a podcasting 2.0 app, you can tap right into the RSS feed. You don't have to go through any of these other platforms that, again, are ruled by the lizard people. So they're, they don't want this information out. So make sure to <laughs> subscribe to the RSS feed. But this idea of trying to get around the wording, the verbiage, whatever, I can I can see that because the whole thing with the alchemists, which were occultists. I mean, that was a secret society as well. That was mm-hmm. a group of selected individuals that would have access to knowledge that not a lot of people could have access to. And that's why they would encode it in all these crazy writings, poems, right? Crowley wrote a lot of poems, uh, stories, plates, right? Illustrations that they were writing, like all these different things that are encoded in symbolism and they were speaking something now some people would say like with crowley right he was just probably really high on whatever drug he was on 
and writing about these like Paracelsus, a lot of Paracelsus writings they say was him under I think he was addicted to I forgot what he was addicted to. I think the something of the poppy or I think he, he describes it. I think it might have been opioids, right? Like the poppy. Yeah. So he's probably seed and it would be opiates, yeah. Yeah, he was addicted to that. So the dude was blasted off his mind like twenty four seven in his alchemical lab, probably trying to conjure up a homunculus or something, right? The same thing could be said of Curly. We know that he was addicted to substances towards the end of his life. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, that's another one that I, I, I sound like I'm defending Crowley the whole time here. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> We're just having yeah, a conversation. I'm to my co-host. No, um, the uh, um, the reason he was a heroin addict because he was, he was a heroin addict. You know, let's call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, was he had incredibly bad asthma, like real bad asthma that um, you know crippling asthma that would just knock him out for days and days and back then the the prescription for for that for that illness was heroin um that's what a doctor would give you he would give you opiates or you know yeah it's like you look into it it's really bizarre so he he was prescribed heroin he wasn't buying it illegally i think he may have been buying it illegally later you know but um he was actually prescribed heroin by his doctor and it's uh Again, that's another thing. I think a lot of people say, oh, he died penniless and yeah. as a heroin addict, and that means he was a complete failure. And it's like, well, no, he was sort of put in that position by a doctor. Um, you know, it's a very, you know, as we know, it's like ridiculously addictive drug. And um, yeah, he, he's prescribed it. That's the, that's, that's the honest truth about it. And because, right, if, if we are to accept that, and I'm going to quote mainly P. Hall here. Mm-hmm. Where he goes, woe to that seeker who accepts as literal the rambling allegories of the alchemist. It's like, I personally don't think that you should join, because a lot of people do. A lot of, I, I'll get these emails, not a lot, but pretty frequently, where I guess people joined a secret organization or one of these organizations, right? Golden Dawn, the LTO, whatever the Freemasons is a big one. I'll get these emails and they'll be like, you know, I joined to try and extract some knowledge (laughs) of whatever, like some secret knowledge. And I was scammed. And I'm like, I don't, I personally don't think that you need to join any organization to try and get secretive secret knowledge. Right. I don't think that even exists anymore because a lot of the things have already been written down and i mean what are your thoughts on that like the, the them being the holders like do these societies offer anything of value at the end of the day yeah i think the the thing the main thing that they offer in my opinion is initiation and initiation's a, a big deal you know it, but initiate you could you could argue well you, you could go online right now and download the the secret the book called the secret rituals of the oto that will it's pretty close to you know from the the initiations i did it's pretty close to what you do is that by regardi is that the one by regardi no 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 it's um i think was it Esh- no it wasn't eshelman that was the aa one but it's um it's someone it's like a blue covered book mm-hmm. it says i think it's called the secret rituals of the ato um now you can read those rituals you know you can read those initiation rituals but you're not going to get the same thing as you would is if you were in the room ha- having the experience there's there's a massive disconnect between reading something and being in the room and and doing it. So I guess that's kind of the one of the advantages of being in a group is that you know a bunch of you can kind of yeah that's the one. Francis yeah, actually, King, yeah, Francis King, and ironically, 
someone in the ITO actually got, uh, I think it was in the UK, he got thrown out for selling. He had a bookshop and he um, was thrown out for selling that book. Um, so, you know, if it's it's obviously pretty accurate if they're throwing him out for <laughs> for selling it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's you can find it everywhere. There's PDFs of it all over the internet and stuff. But you could read the Minerval ritual, which is the first ritual of the OTO, the first initiation ritual of the OTO. When you join, you do something called the Minerval um and yeah which is the first grade or the it's not even the first grade it's like the uh the, i don't know that you don't really become a member of the ato until you're in like the first degree um so it's like a sort of i don't know like a, you're like a welcome guest of the ato i suppose at that point but it's a but it's a cool ritual and you can read all about it in that book but you won't have experienced it in the yeah. way that you will have is you know there's a sort of there's a astral process or something that goes on when you actually experience it physically in the room with a bunch of other people that, you know, especially if it's done well, you know, that's the downside. Sometimes these, these groups are pretty slack and don't actually bother. I heard about one guy, uh, this is really bad. Uh, one guy that joined the ATO um, did his Minerva ritual and the the guy, the main, the head of the ritual um, was reading all the, the lines off of an iPad so that kind of takes a bit, it takes a bit of, you know, I, I would have been probably pretty pissed off as well if that happened to me. Yeah, but yeah, it kind of you, you lose a bit of the, you know, the mystique if someone's got stood there with a with an iPad. But yeah, no, that's to me that's the thing. And yeah, so I, I I'm not against people joining magical groups, uh, but you, you can do a lot on your own. You know, um, there's a lot you get a lot of magicians that just think screw that i'm just going to do this all i'm just going to read read the work and do it myself you know but yeah because there's self there's self-initiation right and 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 for those that don't know and are wondering what is initiation when you are if you're allowed to talk about it like in these secret organizations is it i've understood it a certain type of way but can you explain it in layman's terms maybe for the people who are wondering what it is to be initiated in a magical order it's that you're having mysteries revealed to you essentially um through in within the oto or well within the uh, masonic you know because the oto's system is based on the masonic system so they're they're quite similar structurally but the idea of of them is that you're slowly being having mysteries revealed to you um you know via via these kind of personal they're kind of they're fairly personalized rituals because you're the focus of the initiation ritual generally speaking you know the, um all this kind of ritual has been done around you receiving this information um and if it's done in the right way it's it's very powerful it's you know you, you it really sort of leaves a print on you kind of thing like i can vividly remember all of my initiations and because i was very lucky that the people that did them were really committed to it and you know performed it well and you know it's like going to see a bad play if you go and see you, you can be like the best play that's you know you've ever you know that's ever been written if you've got a bunch of dud actors doing it it's it's a letdown you know so I just got lucky. I had some good actors, you know, technically in mind. <laughs> yeah, because some people will say it's a lot of LARPing or mm-hmm. role playing. And, right, this initiation aspect of some would put it that they're pre- preparing your mind, right, for what you're about to receive, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, putting yourself in a sort of st- altered state of mind essentially through the use of ceremonial ceremonial setting ceremonial magic and you keep mentioning how intense it is and how it is a real feeling it, it, what are your what's your take on ceremonial magic and using it as a sort of 
technology if you will because that's essentially what it is it's it's the manipulation of energies the manipulation of i don't know if you would say matter but of reality itself but there's something powerful about ceremony itself Ma even magic aside because if you really look at the, su the super bowl <laughs> that's a sort of ritual to mm -hmm. charge up right they've been they play all year long or all season long whatever to charge up this trophy this this phallus looking thing that they charge up this this talisman at the end of the day to see who's going to battle off to to receive that and that's got to do something to that ball that they that that thing right the mm -hmm. the pigskin yoni is what Topher, one of our friends <laughs> called it right and it's like it, we're surrounded with ceremony i mean our military does ceremony I mean, my military right here in the in the uk in the united states uh, the the military does ceremony they have their their ceremonial garments or whatever you want to call it there for what they call the the dress but yeah what, what's your take on cer on ceremonial magic itself and just the idea of doing and participating in that i i don't think it's necessarily much i mean if you go to catholic mass on a sunday you're taking part in a in a mass ritual aren't you i mean that really yeah. you are i mean it's like it's you know there's a there's a full set of actors like i said you know in the in the initiations there's a there's all the kind of deckings and the kind of you know the in the ritual space you've got all these symbols everywhere you've got a guy swinging a thing of incense around to add to this kind of atmosphere of the room i mean i don't know anything about catholicism if i'm honest um I, I kind of was raised partially catholic and i still don't know anything about it i was too busy being bored i think at the time but um but it's yeah i mean i personally see west you know magic ceremonial magic as a tool it's kind of like it's almost Jungian, you know, it's, it's, um, Jung, I mean, you could argue Jung is the greatest magician of recent, you know, of the recent decades. Amen. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. He, he refused to use the term occult, but he, and it, because of that, ended up having to kind of create his own version of the occult. But he's, you know, an insanely powerful magician, really. And it, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a form of psychology. It's a form of, um, you know it's it's a way of i always say it's like a way of hacking your 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 reality kind of thing magic you but it's it for, it tends to be it's i don't i think the kind of great misconception of it is that you're always trying to sort of influence the outside world whereas for me it always feels like i'm trying to influence the inside kind of thing and um you know but then a lot of people also say that it's that's all it is it's just psychology but i've had experiences that say otherwise um <laughs> i'm not trying to say too much but you know there's definitely um i think there's definitely a, a supernatural element to it as well um from what i've i mean kenneth grant's a great example you're reading grant at the moment he agrees with that as well that there's you know supernatural elements um, is it benevolent benevolent like what which is it is it something is it god is it is it is that what the g is at the top right with the freemasons is that what that's supposed to symbolize what are your when you're in that setting, does it feel good? Does it feel evil? You know, because like when you start, because a lot of, again, I was, I'm looking at it from the Christian point of view, but a lot, if, if it's not of God, if it's not from the Bible, if it's not the Holy Spirit, it's demonic. So automatically it's demonic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you guys in, because, uh, you know, you have the whole theurgy aspect of it, right? The theurgical aspect where you're trying to invoke help from above right from another reality another dimension whatever to come and change reality down here that we're interacting with 
Is that what they're doing? Are they calling on something? Would they be calling? A, what's the their god? It's, this is like the big question of the occult, isn't it? It's uh, so, it, so it's like, is it? Yeah. I, uh, how do you explain this? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so it's like, is it all inside your head? I mean, Lomaila Duquette has that great quote. I think we mentioned it when you were on my show as well, which is, it's all in your head. You just have no idea how big your head is. Um, so it's kind of for a lot of people, it's just an internal thing. So it's yeah, that's a hard question to answer. <laughs> we should uh, well because um, I've 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 I'm reading at the moment I'm reading Fritz Springmeier, and what well, that, that's a that's a heavy one right there to unpack. And the, he gets into the the Solomonic, it's the lesser key, where even in that right you're talking about young, and how he was able to interact with his inner demons he even talks to the devil and all these archetypes where at the end of the day it's like hey this is all you these are all aspects of you that you're interacting with and you're just again going about it a certain type of way and i 100 percent agree with you with with young and his approach to it where it was an academic approach to the occult aspect and he was dealing with forces that again some would say is us some would say that they're that they're from up above, wherever that is, or down below, wherever, however you want to face it. But then you get into the whole bicameral mind of mm-hmm. where supposedly the the idea of these ancestors speaking to people back then was a section of the brain. Because if you think of, I've always thought about this. Like, you ever see those movies like Aliens, Prometheus, where the technology is almost organic right when you when you look at it, it's like an organic type of tech like their ship is like organic and i look at the brain like that like some organic type of tech where if you were to be aboard that alien ship you wouldn't know how to take off or they have to plug their spleen into it or something like to get it to work or whatever it is and it's like the brain you can't tell me that we 100 percent know how it works I mean, yeah. dude, it's something so bizarre. And the, 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 the reason why brain surgeon have people doing things as they're operating on their, on their brain to make sure that they don't, whoopsies, you know, they don't hit the wrong <laughs> playing operation in real life. They don't hit, they don't take the wrong part out. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just comes to show we don't hundred percent understand we haven't been able to prove consciousness yet. I mean, that's the most basic thing. I mean, this is, we, we, we can't even prove it exists yet. So how can we possibly understand something we can't even prove? You know, it kind of goes against the basic scientific principle, really. But I think, you know, when you're talking about angels and demons and things like that, I think a lot of the time it's just a mythological framework that people work with. You know, the angels and demons were the language of the time when, um, you know, this stuff was being written. You know, Crowley was raised, um, you know, a Christian. He was Plymouth Brethren, which is a really intense Christian sect. Um, and, you know, for a long time, you know, until for, for a very long time, the only book he was allowed to read was the Bible. <laughs> there was that kind of, you know, version of Christianity. He was only allowed to read the Bible. So, of course, his language is going to be steeped in, in, in Christianity, you know. And so you need some say you need a mythological framework to kind of hang this stuff off so that you you've got some archetypes to identify with so you know in the oto or in you know crowley's work or golden dawn work you, you're constantly seeing crossovers with the bible 
with angels with you know the, the names of angels the and Nephilim, all this kind of stuff. yeah yeah all the time and it's like well that's because that was the thing at the time you know and what's interesting would be like what will magic be like in the future because we're obviously <laughs> moving away from christianity a little bit in our popular culture at least so what is the the new version of magic going to be like what what are the newer versions of angels and demons going to be or you know what, what they're going to be called magic may not even you know in a hundred years magic may look completely different to what it looks like today and that's kind of interesting to me yeah i've always thought about that and that and, and i think that's what draws me to the whole typhoon. that's what alchemy is in, interested about as well the, the, just to cut you off there the, the thing I, I find fascinating about alchemy which I, I to be if i'm completely honest i wasn't that interested in um, looking into like the history of alchemy until I started watching your podcast and I've started to it's some fascinating stuff I mean like I was reading about the Count Saint Germain I don't yeah. know if you've uh, that's an interesting story and there seems to be this thing where alchemists never seem to actually die um, they seem to sort of officially die and then a couple of years later they crop up in people's you know um, memoirs and things like oh yeah yeah and, and that's that's one of the other aspects of alchemy and Young was obsessed with alchemy too, right? More mm -hmm. of a he he believed it to be, and it's interesting because as recently I I I was reading from the Theatrum Chemicum, and there was a commentary in there on the first verses of Genesis from an alchemical perspective, written by this bibliophile an alchemist and and translator drawer dorn and i recently translated the, that text and when i started digging deeper into who dorn was this drawer dorn guy turns out that it's the most cited alchemist that carl jung cited in his works and while traveling he would have copies of uh, the theatrochemicum which the first volume makes up are a lot of Dorn's work. And Young writes about having this vol this first in 1930-something, 20-something, whatever, when he was traveling, having these works with him to study. And the way that Young approached alchemy was more of, he believed that they were having effects, not in physical reality, but in a psychological way so again almost like tricking yourself into this state of initiating yourself into a state of mind mm -hmm. but that was his that was his framework then wasn't it, it instead yeah. of having the, the kind of occult or biblical framework he had the psychological framework so it's that same kind of thing you know he's just using that framework to interpret the occult uh, and you see it all the time there was um the guy what's uh, i forgot his name again the guy the gateway process guy monroe, monroe robert yeah. monroe if you watch interviews with him it's really fascinating because uh, i watched this really long there's like an uncut long interview of him on youtube i'll send you the link to it but he starts off by clarifying almost immediately oh uh, i'm not interested in the occult or supernatural <laughs> or paranormal or any of this kind of stuff um and then he goes on about how you know, had this out-of-body experience after because I think what he was doing was he was um, trying to create a tone or like a yeah binaural hemisync yeah. is what they called it. Yeah, but before that, he that kind of came by accident. I think initially he was trying to create a tone that would send you to sleep or help you sleep. It was like a you know a sleep aid essentially because mm -hmm. he ran like a I think he was like he made broadcast equipment for radio companies or he they ran radio stations or something like that. But it, as you watch this interview he starts to become more and more mystical because he talks about his experiences and how he's been, 
kind of initiating himself through this system that he's you know he's he's going on a magical journey essentially and by the end of it he's talking about alternate dimensions and what happens to you after you die and he starts talking like an occultist um but it's so so his framework again is completely different so i I often think that that's the more interesting part of magic in, in a way you know when you're looking at all this stuff it's like you know okay it's easy to say oh you know all these symbols are you know you know, terrible things, but actually, the, the more interesting stuff is the kind of practical stuff where people are actually exploring opening, the, opening portals, bro. Yeah, 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 exploring the subconscious and you know, and and these you know other realms essentially. And that's what got me interested in it. That's what I've always been interested in is the kind of the other, you know, trying to figure out if mm-hmm. these kind of um, these kind of things can trigger something within you, or you know, or you doing something can trigger something outwardly um, that can take you to these other realms or meet these other people so that's the kind of thing that's always interested me rather than power and you you, you do hear about this a lot as well like especially with the kind of left-hand path people a lot of them are very interested in power and influence and all that kind of stuff i'm i'm just peeling it to because i think the whole thing's kind of interesting and crazy (laughs) more than anything and and that's the thing like because when when we're looking into alchemy a lot of people miss the is it eschological? How, how would you say it in the time? Eschological? Eschological. Esca- well, because, yeah, eschatology. So eschatological. Eschatological, maybe. Who cares? And <laughs> the idea that alchemy is also linked to the end times, right? To the, mm-hmm. the bringing, uh, the destruction of reality itself. You also have the interdimensional aspect of it where once you achieve the magnum opus which hey by the way turning lead into gold is a byproduct it's not even what they're actually going after you are able to how you say you can you can escape the 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 you can achieve immortality and you become one of these ascended masters if you will one of these people that are outside of reality that every now and again right they'll they'll peek their head through the ass cheeks of reality, as I like to call it, they'll peel the, you know, spread the cheeks and they stick their head on. They go, hey, can, you know, we see you trying to achieve this magnum opus. You're on the right track, brother. And then they disappear back into nothingness. Or they'll give the the alchemist a hint. You have Paracelsus writing about this, uh, this Elias Artista, this 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 Rosicrucian messiah almost type of thing. This par- They call it a, they call it the, bom- the bombastic messiah or something like that i forgot what they called it but then again you have that literal aspect of it the practical alchemy of it that you're actually transcending reality mm-hmm. and then you have the symbolic aspect of it. no elias artista was the great conjunction of 16 da 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 and it was supposed to symbolize the new age and all this so it's like how you you're Again, Manly P. Hall, these alchemists are working on four different layers of reality all at the same time in order to achieve this end result. It's like, but which is it? Or, but yeah. where where are your intentions also? Like your intention is also an important one of that. And I've been studying. It's everything in magic. Intention, I think. I've been studying. What's his name? Let me find his name here. I've been studying Adam McLean. And his courses on alchemical symbolism. And again, I've got like five of these books. He's an OG in the in the realm of alchemy. And 
some things have, have been really standing out to me when it comes to actually studying this sort of work and a lot of things that I wouldn't have otherwise thought of. And maybe I might do some videos on it because I think that uh, people get uh, like caught up in the what's the exoteric, right? And sometimes you got to dive deeper for that. Esoteric. And that's the problem that like, in order to dive deeper, you might have to join one of these societies or something in order to be around. Because how you're saying there's something about reading a book on PDF versus reading an actual physical book in your hand. There's something about that experience of mm-hmm. turning the pages, sometimes licking your finger and turning. Right? There's something about that. It's talismanic. Yeah. Yes. And like mm-hmm. even me with when I talk about like journaling and how writing the experience. And I think that's what they're trying to take us away from with all our phones, the typing, the keyboards, all this. Take us away from the actual writing. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm a hypocrite because my tablet, it, it's a tablet, but it's like writing on paper. So it's like it's kind of weird. But. The point is that this experience of actually writing it out does something to your to your mm-hmm. mind, right? Your subconscious. Well, it's like one of the Crowley early on. If you're you know getting into Crowley's system of magic, he starts. He tells you to um, keep a dream diary, and even the act of going and buying the blank book does something. You start to it has some sort of effect on your dreams. It's really bizarre, and the more you try to recall your dreams the more you um write them down the more vivid they become and the more chosenone.com go visit chosenone.com it's easy to remember if you just sing along chosenone.com go visit chosenone.com the chosen one yes he is a chosen one he's got his own comic and now he's got his own song Cause he's the chosen one Yes, he is the chosen one Go buy a copy at Chosenone.com Chosenone.com Go visit Chosenone.com It's easy to remember If you just sing along Chosenone.com Go visit Chosenone.com oh. Uh, you it's like it activates the ability to remember them in a better way and you start to really interact with your dreams and experience them in a totally different way and that's all and all you're doing there's no sort of occult to it as it were you know there's no there's no magic or no no writing. kind of like secret magic you're literally just writing down well, writing is magical too ken and that's why i yeah. think that all these books is it, books books exist and i call it interdimensional literature and one of the things that really stood out to me one time on a podcast was I have a buddy of mine who who owns a metaphysical, esoteric, occult bookstore down in South Florida. And he told me that all these guys were interpreting symbols. And inter- Man, I'm, I'm not going to give it a good, a good paraphrasing, but essentially that they were understanding symbols that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to understand. Almost as if they were tapping into some collective together and like this egyptian influence on all these secret societies like the freemasons right the egyptian right like did the were the egyptians onto something was that symbology onto something on like a much deeper level was it doing something to the subconscious and like the idea of the egyptians right and we're taking essentially what i find it bizarre too that sometimes you have these archaeological digs and they're able to 
flesh together so much of from like just a skull and like a jawbone of these entire people. Like I wonder if whenever they find my skull and jawbone, if they're ever going to be able to be like, this dude was a podcaster. He was, <laughs> he was spitting some hot, hot alchemical fire on that mic. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like from that little piece, they're able to extract someone, but then you have societies like skull and bones. <laughs> they have the skull and the bones of people, but yeah, the the idea that they that these, I think it was around the time when the Nag Hammadi Library and and the Dead Sea Scrolls around that time, and I think that had something to do with Crowley too, didn't it? Like, did wasn't he talking about something that it was like shortly after they found the Nag Hammadi or the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the two? Again, Possibly, I'm, yeah. I mean, it would that, it lines up time wise that you know the Nag Hammadi was um, they're kind of. Wasn't it found by a guy? 1945, Nag Hammadi, and then the Dead yeah. Sea Scrolls was found and uh, discovered 1946, 1956. So, I mean, Crowley was still alive. Uh, he was 1946. Alive, uh, the, Just the, barely, the, the, holding on yeah. by a thread. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, he died in 47. So, yeah. But he would have, put, I mean, that was quite a big discovery, the Nag Hammadi Library. It was, yes. um, you know, and it's it kind of, you know, gave us so much more information about Gnosticism and things mm. like that and the Archons and the coolest name I've ever seen for a, a, a I think it was the hypostasis of the Archons, which sounds like something strange. Oh, I've done I so many that. episodes where it's like, you need to, if you ever need to get a, a band name, just go to the, to the Dead Sea Scrolls of Nakamati because there's so many good names, like the Book of Giants. The I've done like a whole episode on that where I'm just like going through all the names. I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is sick, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's just so cool, the hyperstasis of the archons. Yeah. I don't, I've always loved that. <laughs> it's cool, but yeah, no, it's 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 all really interesting stuff. I, I I I don't know. I'm starting to look at what came before all of this as well. You know, I'm I'm looking at groups like the Sabians and things like that yes. at the moment, like because there's something really interesting there, that, and there's there's still a lot of mystery surrounded them. No one really knows who they were, but there's when people encountered them they seem to be doing a kind of well, a version of Western esotericism, but divorced from Christianity. And that's really interesting as well, that somehow these, you know, with completely different, again, different mythological frameworks, they were somehow practicing the same, you know, mystical practices. And that's kind of, that kind of links really interesting to me. It's like, how does it keep going? How does it keep going? You know, like, how does that link keep going without, you know, where who's putting them together? <laughs> that's the thing that's interesting to me. Yeah, because they're 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 tapping into something. And now that you mention that, I read this passage from the Theatra Chemicum Britannicum by Elias Ashmole. And again, I got this from the my good friends over at the South Florida bookstore there. It was a gift, and he goes on to here to talk about how, see if I can find that passage, where they're all using the same symbology, and it all always meets in the center. Like, it always comes full circle. And again, like, are they tapping collectively onto, because the way I see magic is like, like the force, right? I mean, there's a reason why these movies are so important is because they, not only do they speak to the subconscious, but they're putting that's where I think the revelation of method comes in, where they're they're taking these occult principles and they're making these movies out of it. But if you read between the lines, like underneath that, it's like, what are they trying to put out and talk to us about? Right. Like like the, 
that's what I mean when the elites are using symbols. Now, if they are talking to each other or not, I mean, who knows? But that's all. I guess the question with that, though, is like, why would they be talking to each other in that way? You know, why would they need to symbol, you know, signal each other using these massive blockbuster films? Um, well, th- think about it. Can alchemy, right? We're, we're, we're talking about the manipulation of essentially alchemy is the manipulation of matter. Mm-hmm. But also that's that's the practical aspect, manipulating elements, moving them around to for a cause. Well, alchemy is also the manipulation of symbols. There's a reason why the Baphomet emblem, right? The one that everyone knows and loves has such an effect on people in a way that it does because it's an amalgamation, a combination of symbols put together that just so happens to extract a certain type of feeling out of people just from the, from the manipulation of those symbols, alchemy, put together in that certain type of way. Mm-hmm. You, do you yeah, understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and, and you flash that to somebody and it's all... Say they they lose their mind, <laughs> you know. what I'm saying like they lose. Crowley was able to put together the right combination of words, right? And if you really think about it, that's how you know. I always think about like how can people fall for a cult? How can mm-hmm. people fall for certain cults and stuff like that? Well, they're telling them the right combination of words of whatever to make them again back almost like an initiation to put you in that state of mind put you in that state of being to in order for you to be more susceptible and more open to whatever's next they all say i mean the other thing with cults i mean cults and the occult we should clarify two very different things (laughs) (laughs) generally speaking but obviously you also have a a type that joins a cult generally you know there's Mm -hmm. usually some some other factor and and the people that start these cults are usually very good at spotting those kinds of people and you know manipulating them which it again you could also argue was a kind of alchemy as well mm-hmm. you know they're, they're, they're um you know tapping into the collective consciousness and identifying the kind of right type of right type of people um you know to affect with their words and with their message and you know to gain power so that to, that sort of stuff's always seemed way more insidious to me than than you know crowley or um you know occult groups or the golden dawn or Blavatsky or whatever mm-hmm. but I don't know cults have always you know Scientology fucking terrifies me for example <laughs> it's you know that um and ironically that's you know somewhat linked to Crowley um indirectly but it's it's linked to him and you could argue in a way that and this is a, a hard a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of Thelemites especially Ron Hubbard is the most successful student of Al- Alistair Crowley <laughs> He was an it, avid Crowleyan or Crowley. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, him and him and Parsons did the Babylon working and the mm-hmm. Antichrist stuff together, and um, yeah. And, and then look what happened. Ron Hubbard took part of that material, synthesized it into one of the most successful cults in history. You, you know, a multi-million, possibly billion-dollar, you know, enterprise. It is. He's clearly the most successful student of Alistair Crowley if you look at it in that terms. Yeah. yeah, he took it a step, uh, you know, above and beyond. Was able to actually apply the methods, right, uh, as you will, that that he had been taught. And I mean, he was uh, an avid Crowley, and I can't find that one section of the of the book. But anyways, uh, Elias Ashmole was talking about how these various 
alchemists will use various different symbolism but at the end of the day it all it always points to one thing it always points mm -hmm. to that same thing so the idea of symbols having multiple meanings that's also another aspect of it and it's like you know back to what we were talking about towards the beginning where some people will find a a conspiracy and everything because it's like looking at clouds right like you see one thing i see another mm -hmm. and it can be interpreted a certain type of way and looking at clouds i see mario you see luigi whatever some, mm -hmm. some you know what i'm saying like we always have opposing views but one of the things i want to talk to you about also was so we've talked about how you know the influences on occultism throughout history we have young we have crowley we have parsons we have all these guys and there's there's a there's a unifying theme to uh, to some of these guys and that's the involvement right you mentioned monroe and how i'm not into the occult right i'm not not mm -hmm. doing any of that and it's the involvement of government and mm -hmm. how right allegedly crowley was an agent I've I think that's pretty much been proved now. I'm, I'm, that's pretty much. You don't think he no. was full of shit when he was saying that? No, I think it's the you know the there's a good book actually. I forgot what it's called. Um, what is it called? Um, Secret Agent Six Six Six, I think, is the name of the book. And the author of that book is very thorough and finds records and pretty much proves that Crowley was used as part of intelligence during World War Two. And um, yeah, it's it's. I've also uh, seen um, Young dragged in there too. You have Parsons. Uh, mm -hmm. You have the connection of L. Ron Hubbard also being part of the Navy, and allegedly he was and an, an, a spy, a plant put into the. <laughs> he was everything though, man. I like, <laughs> lied. That was He's but the you worst see, liar. But, but Crowley was a liar too, bro. Crowley stole a lot of ideas. I'm gonna say he stole a lot of mm -hmm. ideas. Oh, he yeah. took a lot of ideas, turned them around, but then. And I mean, the Goetia is a good example of that. Goetia is Crowley's biggest theft, I think. Everyone thinks that, you know, the lesser key of Solomon is Crowley. Crowley did all of that. It wasn't. It was Mathers. Mathers did the majority. Mathers was one of the, um, you know, the origin originating members of the Golden Dawn and was Crowley's kind of master adept, whatever you want to call it, in the in the Golden Dawn. He, Crowley reported directly to Mathers. Um, Crowley literally took his manuscript, finished it off, and released it, and got all the credit for it. But it's it's Mathers, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really... and he didn't credit him. That's the crazy thing. And Mathers, I mean, Mathers translated loads of the texts, you know, back in the day. That people, he just he's one of these super underrated figures. Mathers, um, there's a good book on him. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now. It's, uh, Sword and Stone, something like that. Um, yeah, but it, you should read about Mathers. <laughs> he's he's the um, He's the interesting one in the he, Golden Dawn. He was he the one and again. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, there was one guy that he walked into a store. It was like a bookstore. Then saw some book that was like some weird cryptic language. Then he took it and was able to, and like that spoke to him or something. Was that Mathers? The cipher manuscript. I think you're talking about. Yeah, it's like a that. I, was that Mathers or was that White? I always get this mixed up. I'm yeah, terrible yeah. Like, like I, I read that it's one. one of you said the the cipher manuscript. Uh, the cipher manuscripts they're called um but that all goes back to what you were saying earlier about these people that peep through the butthole or whatever the um or the bum cheeks <laughs> or whatever um because they part of the golden dawn system is based on um this kind of conversation with these entities they call the secret chiefs yes and the secret chiefs are these kind of exactly as you described these ascended masters that kind of exist in this other plane of existence and they can you know communicate with you and 
um, you know, Crowley was also really interested in the secret cheese. Blavatsky had her own version of the secret cheese. There's, you know, it's, it's that's a, another common theme that runs through these kind of occult stories. So we have here the cipher or collection of 60 folios containing the structural outline of, ser- of a series of magical initiation rituals corresponding to the spiritual elements of earth, air, water, and fire. And then, right, so it was using the structure of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. You translated them. So William Wynn Westcott. A oh, Westcott. It was Westcott. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Was a colleague. So you got Waite, Westcott, and Mathers were the three that started the Golden Dawn. They, you know, put it together. They're all master, yeah. uh, master masons or whatever, and started this new order. I mean, that happens a lot. A lot of um, it's kind of like I was saying earlier on. You know, like you join the mainstream masons, you work your way through that, and then you go off and start your own. It, your this own dude thing. was a hardcore larper. Look at him wearing his little. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Some of these costumes. They look really funny. But... Are there any more pictures of this dude? Yeah, there should be. That's, that's him. That's, he was a mm-hmm. nerd, bro. Hundred percent. You know the famous story of Crowley is um, when he was at Beleskin, which is a house in Scotland on Loch Ness. So he was doing something called the Abramelum working. It's this giant ritual um, yeah. where you, by the end of it, you're meant to be able to achieve knowledge and conversation. Your holy your, guardian, your holy guardian angel. angel. <laughs> but famously, he didn't finish the ritual or left it undone. You know, he didn't close it off. He didn't. But the reason he um, finished didn't finish it was because he was called to Paris by Mavers. Uh, you know, Mathers was, there was some, I can't remember why now, I'm terrible with my Crowley history, but there was some emergency and Crowley was called away, but it was Mathers that called him away. So, um, yeah. It's, so he's and in, that's how we have the Loch Ness Monster, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so. He opened up a portal <laughs> on the Loch Ness and was able to... But, I mean, it, that house, that house is, you know, if you put... There's a really good document. Well, it's actually not a good documentary, but it's got some interesting stuff in it. I think it's called The Other Loch Ness Monster. And if you look on YouTube, it's on there somewhere. Um, but that um, shows you the whole history of the people that lived at Beleskin. And there's loads of people that like, killed themselves that lived there. Sorry, um, what's, the, what's the YouTube-friendly term? And, it's fine. Uh, I'll, got... <laughs> I'll censor it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah censor me. But the, um, you know, there was, yeah, um, there was that. And then mm-hmm. uh, people, uh, Jimmy Page bought, bought it you know the guitarist for led zeppelin he was a huge crowley fan um and then the fact he didn't actually live there he moved a family in there and um the stories they tell are just you know just crazy stuff going on in that building so something was left like lurking around there and (laughs) something yeah something was open a can of worms is open and so right you have you have john d also involved right There, there always seems that the government is involved to a certain degree with this occult aspect, this this thing, where you always have the and again back then you had the court astrologers and all you know the magicians or alchemists. You had Rudolf the Second with his whole court of alchemists. Well, I know you wanted to talk about what is it municipal. Occult- oh, municipal magic um, you know, yeah occultism, or municipal occultism yeah i mean that's something that fascinates me is when governments i mean the monroe things are a classic example of that the cia spent quite a lot of time looking into the gateway experience and you know, you're wondering why are these you know occult were these government groups interested in these occult technologies fleming um, ian fleming the um writer of james bond wanted to hire crowley to interrogate you know, defected Nazis using his reputation or whatever it was to kind of freak them out or, you know, use occult <laughs> methods to... Really? 
yeah yeah it's that that's another recorded um because um, they also had like a that's the thing about like 007 how yeah, that's John D, yeah. how it's it's so <clears throat> steeped with like not the actual i mean i haven't watched any of the movies i'll be honest but the stuff surround even surrounding they have like a whole james bond tarot and i know again they have the whole john d was the original 007 i've heard rebuttals to that that it actually wasn't again i mean it's whatever you want to believe but this idea again of the government being involved in occultism that's always interested me because again back to the beginning if it was all bullshit can if none of this worked right if none of this stuff worked then why even be open to it if it is all just oh, that's one thing i can can bring this is it does work like things happen when you do this stuff and that i mean that's i can contest it i can you know any of the guests i have on my show will tell you the same thing it works it's just what's happening that's the thing that's the big question a lot of the time you know it's like mm-hmm. it depends on your again it's, it all comes back to this kind of mythological framework this, this idea of like how are you interpreting it and what was your intention when you did it um i've had experiences i cannot explain you know um show me where the entity touched you ken please tell tell the listeners uh, right there. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, but you know i i've had some experience i mean I think my interest in all this stuff came from experiences I had before I was even into magic. You know, I, I had an experience where I, I still to this day cannot explain what happened. And it was, so I sort of sought out answers through magic, I suppose, you know, trying to figure out, okay, that was a really intense experience. How, how can I make that happen again? Or how can I access, mm-hmm. you know, how can I interpret what that was? So I, I often think that magic is like a, a way, it's just a guidebook. It's helping you interpret these kind of strange entities or strange you know um experiences that i think a lot of people experience that just don't have the language to explain or they don't have the um the tool set to examine it properly and i think magic kind of gives you that kind of that tool set a lot of the time well part of the tool set at least you know and and it's the other thing i mean this is something crowley was obsessed with is you can it's repeatable you know you you hear about people having experiences because they did this ritual well you can go and do that ritual and have that same experience so there's there is you know it either works or it doesn't work it wouldn't be hanging around for so long if it didn't work but um but then the other thing that's interesting is christians have the same experience <clears throat> you know when when people claim that they've experienced the touch of god or they've met jesus or the holy spirit not- i can i can attest to that i can i've experienced that so i know what you what you're talking about and again, it was obviously in a different setting, but mm-hmm. I have felt the 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 ecstasy or whatever. Yeah, the, the yeah, uh, the it's something in the air. It's weird to explain, but there's something in the air when when the Holy Spirit is in the house, whatever we called upon that <laughs> came down and was interacting with people. That's a real thing. I mean, that mm-hmm. that I can agree with you on that. And what did you have a paranormal experience or something? Would you call it paranormal or? Yeah, well, I had this. It's in the same place. I had two different experiences. So um, I was fairly young, about twelve years old. And where my father lived, um, there was like a big private school up. He lived in quite a posh town in in England, like a well-to-do area called Godalmin. And um, there's this big private school at the top of the hill called Charterhouse School. Um, and they had these massive woodlands that kind of flow down the hill, and then we were on the road below that. Um, and as a kid, I'd play. You can go into the bottom of the woods, and they'd be like weird stuff there you could just lurk around in the woods and play with kids and i remember i went there on my own one time um because no one else was around um and i went into the woods 
looked up and I saw a figure standing in the woods that has this like skull head. It's the only thing way I can explain it. It was like a almost like a deer skull, but big. You know, obviously it's too big for a deer kind of thing. So it could have just been someone with a mask on. So that was you know that, but it freaked me out as a kid. And I was like, what the fuck's that? And um, and then a few weeks later, I went back and I discovered this like little hunter's hut, and it was full of tiny skulls, like. Um, like deer skulls and like fox skulls and things like that it's obviously like a a guy that takes care of the grounds that was you know dealing with unwanted animals or whatever um and it freaked me out and i remember because you know wink weakling or whatever ran off from this this hunter's hut tripped over and smashed my head against the side of like a big rock on the ground um which knocked me out and when i woke up i turned around and there was an enormous peacock angel above me <laughs> this giant peacock I, I see it as a peacock angel now if you know because i've been reading a lot about the Yazidi, but it was this enormous glowing peacock and it, it just had this like insane effect I, I remember just my head was i don't know it's hard to explain it was like this ecstatic feeling it was bizarre and it sort of psychically spoke to me it sounds this sounds crazy when you say it back but it was this really intense experience and I remember that just changed me that day. It was something happened that day where I was like, okay, that's proof to me now. I, I know that there's something weird going on that we're not seeing, you know. What, I mean, I've never thought about peacocks before, you know, apart from maybe seeing them at a zoo or something. So why the hell is this enormous peacock? And so then years later, I discovered that there's an entire community, like a, you know, Islamic sort of spin-off community that worships this giant peacock angel <laughs> and the Yazidi. And um, yeah, and then so feared by the um, islam that islam you know basically committed genocide against them isis went in and sold you know broke up the community and sold the women into uh, sex slavery and all sorts of, it's like so something something was freaking out that group you know there's something there in that kind of stuff so i don't know it's like so that was the first thing that, that really happened to me that really made me start to you know look at the weird side of things rather than just following the following the pack as it were it kind of dislodged me from reality or something. It did something weird to me where, you know, I just sought out that kind of stuff. And it was just like a natural thing to go into magic for me. And that area that you were in, that that wooded area, is that, does it have any sort of, is there any indigenous people in over there in that area? <laughs> or are there, again, like any lore? Because, you know, when you said the, like the stags had him, it reminded me of the, of the skinwalker or the deer head, whatever it was, mm-hmm. like the skinwalker or the wendigo or Watiko, whatever you want to call it. Uh, is there any of that in that wooded area that you were in? Like maybe some burial ground no, or something? No, I mean, it was, um, it's just, it's a fairly wealthy area. I don't know if there's any kind of, history there i mean i should probably look into that actually that's a good point <laughs> i mean maybe <laughs> that's why they're wealthy because against skull and bones <laughs> is there a yeah, reason I mean, why some serious people go to that school you know politicians and um you know it's a it's a very well regarded private school um charter house it's it's huge as well when you go in there it's like it's got that kind of uh you know, the sort of place you could imagine a British version of George Bush would would end up kind of like thing. a Bohemian <laughs> Grove type of feel to it. Like, yeah, there's there's a strangeness to it that you can't quite put your finger on. But um, yeah, it's always kind of I don't know, I've always found it unsettling that place. I don't know why. And I've know I've known people that have been to that school and um, had felt that they never felt safe when they were there. There's all sorts of strange stories you hear about Charterhouse in in Godwin. But uh, I'm sure there's a book, book in there somewhere. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and, and and so you're looking into the Iazel. How do you say this? Iazel, the 
the angel. I looked up the angel that you said. Oh, Yazidi. Yazidi. How do you spell Yazidi. it? Never mind. I got another angel here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, um, it's Y-Z. Yazidi. Uh, I can't remember how to spell it. Let me look it up for you. Yazidi. I pulled up. It's Yazidi. called the Yazel, I think is how you say it. And apparently it is an angel. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of different angels. But the idea, you, you, you touched on something earlier where... Right, the influence of whatever you you grow up with has an influence on what you see, sort of like mm-hmm. the, like these symbols. And John D was in touch with these entities, and I I think that we can get into the alien aspect of it, right? The extraterrestrials, if you want, because mm-hmm. I think that D was in touch with extra, not D, but. Kelly was in touch with extraterrestrial because some of the descriptions that they that they give for these entities are almost Nordic kind of sort of in a way and they give like these weird descriptions and I think of like the Ashtar Galactic Command or some other cheesy right in blue tights Star Trek looking entities right the the Council of the Light Order or whatever et cetera et cetera and it makes me think, like, were they in touch with... But then they have, how you were saying, Raphael, insert whatever other angel name here. They have those entities, too, as well, that they were interacting with. Mm-hmm. And you said that the Golden Dawn also has the same, the same hierarchy, same entities, sort of. Uh, what, are your t- what are your thoughts on that perhaps these could be? Because, I mean, we can connect Crowley with the whole alien gray uh, thing going with, with on lamb. with lamb which it's a real <laughs> hot topic right now yeah i mean uh, the best source for this kind of stuff's um well one of the best sources is uh, alan greenfield who if you're a hellier fan you'll know him he was in season two of hellier he's the guy they go and see um that wrote a book called secret cipher of the euphonauts um but generally speaking and this is something we talk about a lot on our show is there's this kind of snobbiness within the occult world where they they kind of almost want to be respected like science is respected. You know, they want it to be seen as a serious thing and um, they don't want any kind of connection with the UFO phenomenon or paranormal kind of, you know, supernatural elements. They want it to be a serious art form almost um, or psychological tool or whatever. But the, the thing is, they, they, you can't separate the two. It's impossible. Like if you do enough actual magical work and you're going to see stuff that you can only describe as paranormal, you will see, you know, things that you would, generally described as aliens maybe uh <laughs> yeah so it's kind of um it's impossible to disconnect the two i i'm convinced that you do one and it causes the others to happen that's kind of and that's what greenfield's hypothesis is that um through a cult ritual you cause ufos to appear and actually if you, i assume if you had the ultra terrestrial yes. um, this idea that they're not coming from space they're coming from like a interdimensional realm or a thought form realm or whatever that's that to me seems the more likely well for me personally from the experiences i've had through magic that would definitely line up and that's definitely what greenfield also um seems to imply <laughs> have you so you you told us about your experience as a kid in the woods you saw this thing on two occasions you saw one that you know you couldn't explain the second one obviously you couldn't explain have you been able to replicate this during your magical workings? No, but I've 
I, I guess it's through my interest in the occult, I've tried to figure out what it might have meant, meant symbolically, and I'm still working on that. Um, but I've, I've seen other, you know, through doing, and it, the weird thing with magic is it tends to happen, it doesn't happen the way you think it's going to happen when you do encounter something. Um, you know, you might be doing all these grand rituals or whatever and, you know, um, meditating on a certain thing, and then actually it's something really small that can cause something to happen. Like with me, it, I was going through like a period where I wasn't really doing a, lot, a great deal of magic, but I was still keeping up this one ritual every day called the lesser, lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, which is almost like a cleansing ritual. You do it, um, you know, in morning and the evening. Um, uh, some, it, there's two versions of it anyway, but um, it was from doing that that I had the most powerful experience. This was like real basic ritual. Um, I, had, I woke up one morning and I saw this entity just sat on my desk in my room and I was like, <laughs> it was the weirdest experience and had a, a, a mild telepathic conversation with it which was um but again it's like i was in this kind of almost hypnagogic state you know where you're sort of say again is it just the dream world coming through and you know bleeding mm-hmm. through into reality so there's always questions like that but that felt very much like a supernatural experience i've never seen i've never imagined an entity like that before so the fact that it appeared was was really bizarre and it, it seemed really out of place with my usual psyche as it were so to me that was like um successful contact if you want <laughs> in that sense and and that's the the idea that young had where he would enter this sort of i forgot what they call it, active imagination a, a daydreaming state where you would put yourself in this hypnagogic state where you'd be kind of you know, slumped bit, over type of thing, and you could start in sleep and awake. It's that it's that kind yeah. of bit. You you know, often people wake up from it. You know, um, with I had that all the time where I'm convinced there's someone in my room. But I'm in that hypnagogic state, and then boom, I wake up. Um, it's yeah. Uh, it, everyone goes through hypnagogic states before they go into dreaming or before they go into deep sleep, kind of thing. It's uh, but that seems to be the point where people get influenced the most. Yeah, and it's weird too because you have Grant talking about how these entities that you're interacting with, right? The, the great old ones, whatever that they appear differently to you depending on which state you are in. So the reason that they are so grotesque in your waking state is because you're not meant to interact with them in this waking state. And I've heard that in other mythologies too, where these, their gods or their deities they seem very grotesque and if you look at any old artifacts right i mean babylonian mesopotamian whatever they always seem almost again some people would call them demonic like these statuettes that they make or whatever and it's like no that's the way they interacted with their god so you you're almost seeing like this parallel again of occultism western occultism but in, in my thing where I've seen it in Caribbean spirituality, Taino spirituality, where it's like the, the you know, the, the people of the indigenous people of Puerto Rico and they're right, you know, academics are writing about this. And it's like me being me. I'm like, I know this other stuff. It's like, hmm, that sounds awfully similar to what I've heard Kenneth Grant talk about. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, no, that's what, I mean, Grant was fascinated with Lovecraft, wasn't he? So Lovecraft yes. received a lot of his kind of ideas for his dreams. Dreams, so, nightmares, night terrors, I guess you could call them. You know, that was one of the things that I mean, Grant was kind of a, a ridiculed. I think we're talking about this on my show, aren't we? He was kind of a ridiculed character in the Thelemic world, you know, in um, 
within the Crody circles uh, because of that. That's one of the main reasons. They were like, well, he's incorporating a fictional writer into all of this. But what he's actually saying is this guy's accessing some realm in his dreams and pulling them down and, and sort of interpreting them as fiction you know, rather than you know creating a ritual around them or writing the mythology he's writing a different kind of mythology but it's still a mythology and it's yeah. you know it's still magical work essentially it's um he's describing these god forms or these kind of other what, what are they called the old ones or whatever the great, you know. old, yeah the ancient ones the great old ones he even he even calls them a prophet bro in one of his books uh, under a pseudonym under a pen name I think it's wh Mueller and the white stone i think it's called he talks about how crowley or not Crowley, Lovecraft was one of the greatest alchemists, one of the greatest prophets. Like he calls him all that. And it's like I've, I've, I'm, I'm a Dungeons and Dragons fan, right? So like I, I love all the darker aspect of the occult and all. I get some slack for it sometimes. Like why is all your stuff so dark? And I go, because that's all the cool shit, right? Like that's yeah. where all the cool stuff is at. It's like, yeah, you can talk about the light, but. I talk about. I mean, people say that I focus on the dark a lot, but it's just, it's just the That's way. That's more it interesting. Is. Luke Skywalker's boring. It's all about Vader, isn't it? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, he's the more interesting character, isn't he? I mean, yeah. he's the dark character. The dark, the darkness. I mean. That's that's part of the kind of Jungian shadow self, you know, this idea that you have to kind of go and encounter the dark side of yourself to truly learn anything, to kind of truly, you know, realize knowledge or wisdom or whatever it's you have to go through that darkness and it's the same with the left-hand path it's the same with kenneth grant you're talking about the cliff off and you know these um you know the what's it called the tunnels of set and all these things you you have to kind of go through these you know to find light of knowledge you have to go into the darkness to get it and that's you know plus it's it just looks cool a lot of it (laughs) it's it's more interesting you know it's it's the more interesting side isn't it of of things but because it's the forbidden fruit it's the you know it's all that kind of stuff it's the morbid curiosity but it's you know it's seems to be where people draw a lot more wisdom you know than yeah uh, i heard that one time where it was something i don't know they were quoting young or not but how Right. Once you encounter that dark self, it's going to reveal to you all the secrets of, of reality. But it's like it goes back to the. That pack, the I'm drawing a damn blank. What the, the hell's the guy, the deal with the devil? What's the name of it? The man, I can't remember it. The guy that wrote Mephistopheles and the. Why can't I remember it? Not Faust. No. Yeah, the um, Faustian pact. There we go. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> the Faustian pact. It was like, how far are you willing to go to learn all the secrets? And again, that's a question I get a lot too. It's like, dude, don't you want to try? You know, you're talking about homunculus. You're talking about all these different things. Don't you want to make homunculus? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe I already have. Who mm-hmm. knows, right? Maybe that's how I was able to put a make the homunculus owner's manual. So, and, and again, I get called out a lot too because I've been referred to as like an armchair cultist, which I don't really care. But uh, the idea that right, you have the even in the cryptid community, you have the people who are on the on the ground boots researchers, and then you have the people who just tell stories about it. Like those two go at each other, like oh well. 
all you do is tell stories and I'm actually in the woods trying mm. to find Bigfoot or whatever it is that they're trying to find. And what it's are gatekeeping. your <laughs> it's just gatekeeping, is it? You get it in the yeah. ma- magic world as well. It's like, oh, you can't possibly talk about the occult because you're not doing it. It's like, well, then why do we write books about it for people? You know, it's yeah. ridiculous. It's, it's, you know, of course you can talk about it. I've, that's what I'm, you know, there's a lot of people you've encountered one recently that, um, you know, they don't give occultism a particularly good name necessarily, you know, in that sense. I think they should probably be a bit more open to discussing. So I think people in general would have a better view of magic and occultism if people were just a bit more open and less kind of protective and weird about it, you know, all the time. I think, you know, a lot of this mystery and this confusion happens because it's so secret all the time where actually if people were a bit more, you know, less gatekeepery with it, I think it would probably be less of a taboo subject maybe. And And to, to wrap this up, Ken, what are your thoughts on the cryptid phenomenon do you think that's also can be related to the occult and this magical way of thinking because i know that grant talks about this too like these typhonian teratomas that roam the tunnels of set from failed magical experiments of the nephilim (laughs) and the giants and all that there's that montauk project that's a good example of that isn't there whether that was essentially like this kind of municipal occultism yeah again it's meant to be a government project where they're time traveling and doing all this kind of stuff and they accidentally bring this beast into into reality and it destroys the montauk project and yeah so i mean that's that stuff's really interesting there you go that's camp hero um yeah instant at montauk although (laughs) there's again there's a bit of a dodgy side to that story have you heard the story about preston nichols the guy that no. So the guys said so that book there at the top, uh, you just had back the there. one with the horse. Yeah, yeah. That's, I have uh, this in in PDF. I haven't read it though. It's it's really interesting. It, it's mainly based on the story of a guy called Preston Nichols, um, but it's actually put together, I think, by a guy called Peter Moon. He seems like a decent guy, but um, the uh, Preston Nichols guy was apparently he, he basically his theory was that all these people were involved with the Montauk project, but they didn't know they were members because they'd been deprogrammed or you know whatever or programmed. Um, and he was like helping these these boys de- get deprogrammed, and it was all very. Ah, um, uh, uh, he said, she said, huh? No, 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 no. He was doing things to them that. Um, that didn't type seem of stuff. Be... Yeah, yeah. Oh. So you should look into it. It's uh, the Y Files. The YouTube channel did a really good sort of expose on that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, but the the actual main story is interesting though because there's you know there appears to be evidence like for example on the camp hero where the montauk project was based allegedly based um there's no record of a tunnel system yet in preston nichols's version there's this these tunnels underneath the um mm-hmm. underneath uh, camp hero and then people once they opened it up people found tunnels under camp hero so there's definitely something going on there and it's like i don't know it's really interesting but the big part of that story was that this you know for doing these kind of more modern versions of, of of ritual they they bought this beast this giant beast that just couldn't be stopped and destroyed the entire of camp hero and it's, it's a really interesting story but um yeah i mean i again greenfield's a good one when it comes to cryptids and the occult um it's not something i've looked into massively if i'm honest with you you but, you uh, interviewed greenfield right didn't you a couple of times yeah he's been on the show yeah, uh, I, haven't, a of times. I haven't listened to that i'll have to check those out and it's funny because before I went on your on your show, I had already listened to your podcast, and 
I, I remember when we jumped into the call before we started recording, I was like, yeah, dude, I've, I've heard about this guy. And it's like, I saw on this a YouTube video, it's, they're called uh, Sitting Now. And they're like, yeah, that's my interview. I'm like, oh, it's like I'd already like heard some of your some of your podcasts and they're really great. And yeah, this idea of I think that's the Montauk, if I'm not mistaken, the Montauk is what Stranger Things is based off of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the ray that opens up the portal is called they're called the keys. So almost like mm-hmm. a like a you know goetic the keys oh, yeah. of Solomon type of thing. I mean, again, it's all steeped into this, but the idea that this was an actual thing and it's also tied into the is it the Philadelphia experiment too? Is that the other one? Yeah. I think it's it's something to do with two members of the Philadelphia experiment, which is people don't know what it is. It's like a it was a project to send a yeah, like a warship back in time it's like a time traveling and i know it was a project to make it invisible wasn't it and it accidentally got sent back in time that's that's the theory with it eldridge uh, too yeah, like eldridge, eldridge. yeah yeah which is uh you can't make this shit up uh, but yeah it's uh and then apparently two people fell off the boat or something or got stuck back in time and then they're involved it's a really complicated story but the book's great you should definitely read the original montauk project book it's it's excellent. And then look into Preston Nichols and make your own mind up. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I will be honest, I haven't you know, I've 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 read about this, I've heard people talk about it, but I've never actually done like a dive on it. And that's that's it's pretty it's definitely funny. one of the more interesting ones you know i mean it, it, it's technically a conspiracy theory it's like mm-hmm. the old fashioned because i'm old enough to remember when conspiracy theory used to be totally different to how it is today it's like completely changed it's like after 9 11 everything changed with conspiracy theory it went dark it went kind of yeah dark basically yeah. before before that it was a subculture you know it was mm-hmm. like a very left wing as well which is the you know it's kind of everything's flipped the, the other way around now yeah. but it's a it's um but yeah, it used to be about UFOs and secret project, government projects, and you know all that kind of stuff. Like Area Fifty One, bro. Yeah, Area Fifty One. <laughs> the what's it called? L, I always get it wrong. L something. The underground. Uh, is it El Dolce? El Dolce. El, something. Something like that. Yeah, bro. yeah, yeah, yeah. Underground wars going on between the government and aliens and shit. It was all that kind of stuff back in the day, and um, you know, then Ike with his reptiles and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. But then, yeah, then it now it's gone in a different direction, but. Uh, it's, it's, got, it's gone nuclear sense, right? Like yeah, sort of. it's I mean, like mainstream got, you, now. Yeah, I mean, you've got literal like people that never would have been interested in this stuff, interested in it. Like, you know, uh, middle American housewives are, in, are interested in QAnon and things like that. It's, 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 it's fascinating, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's. I don't know. It's also dangerous to a degree. <laughs> yeah, I think, which is why I think you have to kind of you know correct it when you can kind of thing and you know hopefully steer because at the end of the day everyone just wants truth don't they really you know it's just everyone's on the path to their own truth or the universal truth or whatever so um it just feels like conspiracy at the moment it's going through like a a dark an even darker (laughs) way of finding that truth like we were talking about earlier it's almost like it's going through the darkness and they're all coming true bro (laughs) yeah <laughs> that's also the thing that a lot of them, we're running out of conspiracies because they're all coming true they're actually becoming reality which is a weird part of it but yeah do not agree with you there is also a dangerous side to it and when right uh to what what's who was that nietzsche that said that when you look into the abyss the abyss will start to stare back into you was that nietzsche or was that yeah really that was nietzsche down nietzsche was another one bro looking into the darkest crevices of your subconscious and reality itself and 
He was yes. um, in the Gnostic Mass. There's a list of names of what they call Gnostic saints that Crowley added to the um, Gnostic Mass, and Nietzsche is one of them. Really mm-hmm. interesting. Wow. All right. So Ken, this was great. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed talking to you, bro. You're awesome. Can you let people know where they can find your podcast, your website, all that good stuff? And I'll plug those in the description as well. But let people know where they can find you, bro. So the podcast, if you want the audio version, the undiluted, whatever, you know, you can just download it direct from citynow.co.uk. But it's on everything, you know, Apple, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. Uh, on YouTube, we're at CityNow. Instagram, Twitter, we're at CityNow. I think on TikTok, we're at CityNow Official. Um, but that's it. That's where that's where you'll find us. We're sort of moving out because we've always been an audio podcast. We're moving towards YouTube now. So we've got original video content coming as well soon. Um, sort of um, video essays and things like that, that kind of thing coming to. And this room will look a lot different, hopefully soon. No, I mean, I'm sort of moving shit around in here and uh, trying to kind of get rid of a bunch of stuff. It looks like a warehouse I'm in at the moment. <laughs> yeah, nice. I like the editing on your videos. It's really great to the aesthetic. I really like it. So, yeah, people should definitely check that out. I'll also post the link to the other episode we did on, on Ken's show with, with me where we talked about homunculus and a whole bunch of other craziness. So appreciate you, Ken. Thank you so much for coming on. And as always, everyone, catch you on the other side.